0: Many of the secrets of God's plan for the ages were in the Levitical feasts. Welcome to the Strength and Dignity podcast, where we discuss Christian lifestyle, scripture, biblical concepts, and hear testimonies from various guests. I'm your host, Kelsey Pryor, and I hope you find encouragement, solid teaching, and thought-provoking concepts here. Welcome to our series on the biblical festivals. Through the course of this series, we will discuss the seven biblical feasts, what they mean to Christians today, Jesus' fulfillment of the spring festivals, what the fall festivals represent, as well as examples from families who celebrate these holidays today. If you enjoy this content, please be sure to share with your friends. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Strength and Dignity podcast. Today marks the start of a brand new series that we are doing here on the podcast, and that is one of biblical feasts. We're going to spend the next couple episodes, I think about four episodes total, unless something changes, um, talking about the biblical festivals described throughout the Bible. A lot of it is in the Old Testament, but there is a surprising amount in the New Testament, and I'm going to be talking about both of those. I'm super duper excited, but I did want to make one kind of disclaimer. I don't know if you guys are loving it or if you think I'm crazy for having such a heavy um, focus on what seems to be Jewish tradition in my podcast. (laughs) So I just finished a six or seven episode series on the Sabbath. And here we are heading into a series on what we typically call the Jewish holidays. However, I do want to just make my disclaimer saying that everything that I'm talking about throughout these two um, series is coming from our Bible. It's coming from the Christian Bible that talks about Jesus as our Messiah and a a lot of the stuff that I'm going to inform you with is heavily influenced by Jewish tradition, especially because God gave these gifts, these um, times and seasons to the historically Israelite people. And they are mostly kept today and maintained throughout Jewish culture and tradition today. However, they do come from our Bible and something that I'm really excited that I'm going to be talking about is how God gave these traditions and these festivals to the Jews in the old Testament, but he actually talks a lot about them in the new Testament and, um, Jesus kept lots of these festivals and they're actually prophetic. I'm not sure how many of you guys are aware of it, but that is one of my favorite parts about about learning about the biblical feasts is how prophetic they are. So there are seven biblical feasts, four of them take place in the spring and three of them take place in the fall. And what we're gonna be talking about throughout the duration of this series is how the four spring feasts were prophetic foretellings of Jesus's first coming that he fulfilled. And then the three fall feasts, which are my personal favorite, are three prophetic foretellings that have yet to be fulfilled of Jesus' second coming. So they have a lot of relevance, relevance, sorry, relevance um, in the Christian world today. And I don't think that we learn as much about them as we should. So that is the perspective that I'm coming into this series with. Um, A lot of the information that I have today um, and throughout the series will be taken from different blog posts and articles online that have been written predominantly by Jewish people that could be either Orthodox um, or like religious Jewish people that don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah and some of them are written by Jewish people that do believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, there's also a book I'm going to be referencing called Unlocking the Secrets of the Feast by Michael, Nor- Michael Norton and then um, a lot of it is from the Bible of course and then some of it is from my personal experience. So that is the information that I'm going to, bring, to be bringing to you guys today. Man, I cannot talk today. I'm going to be stumbling over my words. Um, that is a lot of the information I'm going to be bringing to you guys throughout this series and I'm super excited because I don't think this topic is quite talked about enough and we are heading into the season of the fall feast. So hopefully I can um, keep up with this series and bring you guys these episodes um, as we're celebrating the fall feast, which are traditionally referred to as the high holy days in Israel today. That's what they're talked about because there's three of them right in a row. Um, so I'm super excited. Um, so I'm going to be starting off this episode with this is really just a broad brush overview of what are the biblical feasts. Um, why do we care about them? Aren't they Jewish tradition and Jewish holidays? Why should Christians today that are not Jewish care about them? Um, and I'm going to open us up with a quote from the book, Unlocking the Secrets of the Feast by Michael, Michael Norton. Um, he had a conversation with a Messianic Jew named Zola Levite, um, who went on to become an author himself. But this quote um, said, says many of the secrets of God's plan for the ages were in the Levitical feasts. So if you want to know the secrets of God's plan, then you might want to be paying attention to the biblical feasts. And lots of rabbis do agree that if you seriously study the feasts, you will experience a blessing that will be beyond your expectations. So if you want to unlock the secrets of God's plan, and if you want to experience blessing beyond your expectation, then this is a series that you're going to be really excited about. Um, Another thing to note is that in Leviticus 23 that I'm about to get into, God references to these feasts as his feasts, not as... Israel's feast, so he does give them to Israel, and he um, commands them to adhere to the feast according to the guidelines that he lays out in Leviticus 23. However, they are his feast. So, um, if you have, if you're still having a tr- trouble like differentiating the Jewish tradition from what Christians today should be worried about, think about these feasts as the Lord's feasts. These are something that he, that it is of the desire of his heart, that he bestows to mankind, and he bestowed them to us through the Jewish people as an example to us but that doesn't mean that they need to stay Jewish tradition and Jewish holiday exclusively. So, okay. Now that we've covered that, I am just going to read, I'm just going to actually read Leviticus 23 because this whole thing lays out all seven feasts plus the Sabbath. Um, so it's a little bonus one in there. And then I'm going to kind of break it down by the seven of them. And then the next couple episodes, I'm going to be breaking it down. Um, the spring feast versus the fall feast. Cause they are different in terms of, um, prophecy and fulfillment, um, and how they're spoken about in the Bible and the different places that they're referenced. So this is just going to be kind of a, broad overview starting in Leviticus 23. So if you want to read along with me, or if you just want me to read to you, either way is fine. So we start off the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed peace feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. So this is what I was talking about. These are the feasts of the Lord. They are my appointed feasts. So then it talks about the Sabbath. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work, it is the Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. A quick side note here, if you were following along in our Sabbath series, the last episode that I did was how the Sabbath is a prophetic foretelling of the wedding feast to come. And I think it's really interesting that the Sabbath is included in this list of the seven um, festivals. Because in and it of itself, it's sort of, it's very similar to the festivals in terms of it is both a remembrance and a prophetic foretelling. Um, but this tradition is kept every single week instead of every year. The rest of the seven feasts that we're going to look at um, happen once a year, but Sabbath is once a week. And so if we can take anything away from that, it's that um, it's on some level a little bit more important in terms of remembrance and um what it's doing to our hearts because it happens on a weekly basis. Not more important in terms of we shouldn't pay attention to other ones, but we need that reminder more often. So that's just a little side note that it's listed with these feasts. The next one is the Passover. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month on the 14th day of the month of twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no, you shall not do any ordinary work, but you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do no ordinary work. So something that's interesting about this that you'll see throughout is that God really doesn't want you doing any ordinary work during most, if not all of these feasts. Um, the Feast of First Fruits. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest and he shall weave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall weave it. And on the day when you weave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two tenths of an ephah, um, a fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And if you shall eat neither bread nor grain, Parched or fresh until the same day, until you have brought the offering of your Lord. It is a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. So, another thing that you'll notice is that he cares a lot about when they keep it. So he tells them the exact date that he wants them to keep it, um, and the measurements of things that he wants them to use as their um, when they're celebrating, so their food or their offerings, etc. So this is a chapter it's in Leviticus and I think a lot of us want to kind of breeze over Leviticus because it has all these laws that might have kind of boring side notes or boring like implications. Like this is how many males, this is how old it needs to be. This is what animal it needs to be. And this is the sacrifice and this is the sin that it covers. But we can actually learn a lot from the Levitical laws. So obviously this is one of them. I'm going to read this next one that occurs in the spring and then we'll take a pause on reading scripture and talk about it. Um, okay, so verse 15 continues. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the weave offering. You shall count fifty days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering um, of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be weaved, made of two tenths of an apha. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs, a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd and two rams. These shall be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall weave them with the bread of the first fruits as a weave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest, and you shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the. You shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Um, one thing that I'd like to point out is that when it says, um, it is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout your generations, this is actually significant for the Jewish people because they have multiple dwelling places as they've been dispersed throughout the nations multiple times. They're not always dwelling in Israel, the land that the Lord gave them. They wandered for 40 years in the desert. They were taken to exile in Babylon. They were dispersed throughout all of the nations, um, uh, Post, I think, 70 AD after Jesus, they were dispersed and um, to all the countries of Europe. And then obviously, there's tons of them now in the States. So they're not all um, throughout history, they have dispersed throughout the land. So they're not all in Israel. And so it's interesting that God points out in all of your dwelling places and throughout all of your generations. So I just wanted to point that out as a little side note. Okay. So those were the four um, spring feasts. We talked about Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and um, The Feast of Weeks, which is called Shavuot. That just literally means weeks. Okay, so let's talk about different times that these um, feasts were kept throughout scripture. So we can point back to Exodus 12, which was the first Passover and the first unleavened bread. This is um, the exile from Egypt. You're probably all familiar with it if you've ever seen the Prince of Egypt movie or read any children's book about Moses, you're probably familiar with the exodus of the Jewish people from um, from Egypt. That's the parting of the Red Sea into the promised land, how they disobeyed God and then wandered in the desert for 40 years. Um, but that night that they're preparing to leave, God had a bunch of really strange commands. He was sending the angel of death to kill all of the firstborns in the land and the only way that they could um, that they could have the angel of death pass over their house is by sacrificing a newborn lamb and spreading its blood on the doorpost to say that someone has already died, um, someone has already taken the place of our son in this household, so you can pass us over. Um, And then unleavened bread, they were leaving the land in a hurry. And so they had to eat bread that didn't have time to rise. So that was the unleavened bread. And then first fruits is traditionally, it is the first fruits of their harvest. So it's the first fruits in the springtime um, of the things that they plant. And then Shavuot traditionally commemorates the giving of the Torah. So when Moses went up onto Mount Sinai, there really isn't... um, like a specific thing to point to in scripture that says that that is what that holiday represents, but traditionally that's how the Jewish people keep it um, as a commemorating of the giving of the Torah to Israel. So I'm gonna go through and read a couple um, passages in the New Testament referring to each of these feasts. So if we're talking about the Passover and unleavened bread, we can turn to Luke 22. Um, If you know where I'm going with this, this is the Last Supper that Jesus keeps the Passover with his disciples. So with the perspective of um, what we just read and with Exodus 12. So Exodus 12, like I just said, is when they would have to signify that a life had already taken the place of their son and that their son's life didn't have to be taken. Um, And that is what the blood represented. It represented this sacrifice has already been made in this household so you can pass this over. So reading um, Luke 22, starting in verse seven, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. One confusing side note is that the Passover and unleavened bread kind of happen at the same time. Um, It's like a week long and it's like, kind of this similar same celebration. So you'll like, you'll hear them talked about together a lot. Like in Leviticus 23, it listed them in the same, in the same list. Um, And they're both kept in Exodus 12. And then here they're listed um, in the same sentence in, in Luke 22. So then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Um, Institution of the Lord's Supper And when the hour came He reclined at the table And the apostles with him And he said to them I have earnestly desired To eat this Passover with you Before I suffer For I tell you I will not eat it Until it is fulfilled In the kingdom of God And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Another side note, this sounds very familiar to those of us who have grown up in um, Christian or church culture. This is like um, communion. We take communion. We celebrate Easter, blah, 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 blah. But this was very bizarre to them. This was not traditionally how Passover was kept. So just keep that in mind that the disciples are like, why are you giving us wine? Why are you giving us bread? Why are you calling it your body? Like This is the first time that... Wine and bread are referenced to in this way, and it's very confusing to them. So you can just imagine they're sitting on the table, like Jesus. What are you doing? Um, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit. And he took the bread, and oh, sorry, I read that. Um, and likewise the cup. After they had eaten, saying, "This cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood." But behold, the hand on him who, be- but behold, the hand of him who betrays me, um, is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Okay, so this is probably the only biblical feast that Christians are widely familiar with because we celebrate it at Easter um, or we remember this passage in scripture um, at Easter time. So Easter is kind of like our replacement for the Passover, but really it t- it's mostly about his crucifixion and resurrection, whereas the Passover is the foretelling of his crucifixion and resurrection. And sometimes we forget that his crucifixion and resurrection were both foretold throughout the biblical feasts. So I'm going to be talking a lot more about the fulfillment of prophecy in the coming episodes, but I just wanted to mention that. Okay, so um, another, a couple other times that these um, are talked about throughout scripture, let's look at Acts 2 to talk about Shavuot. So Shavuot is um, the Hebrew word for what you might know of as Pentecost. Um, So when the day of Pentecost arrived, this is Acts 2, They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So this is the um, coming of the Holy Spirit. Again, I'll be talking a lot more about this in future episodes. But if you want to know where these are spoken about in the New Testament, um, Acts 2, it talks about when the day of Pentecost arrived, which is Shavuot. And then we can also go to 1 Corinthians 15 to look at, um, first fruits. So let's turn there. Sorry. I like using my physical Bible for this kind of stuff. Okay. First Corinthians 15 verse 20. Um, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he mentions the first fruits there, which is a little side note to the feast of first fruits. Um, One other interesting fact about when the Jews were dispersed throughout the nations, um, typically they were not allowed to own their own land. So Jews were not allowed to own uh, land in non-Jewish lands. And the first fruits is the celebration of the first fruits of their harvest. And so a lot of the times when they were living in foreign countries, they were not able to keep the feast of first fruits for that reason because they didn't have their own land. Okay I'm going to go back to Leviticus 23 and we're going to talk about the um, fall feast real quick and then we're going to talk about what a pilgrimage festival is. Um, Okay, so picking back up in verse 23 of Leviticus 23, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. This is Yom Truah, which is the day of trumpets. Next is, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now on the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord and you shall not do any work on that very day for it is a day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord, your God, for whoever is not afflicted on that very day shall be cut off from his people and whoever does any work on that very day that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall not do any work. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest and you shall afflict yourselves on the ninth day of the month, beginning at the evening, from evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. So we go from talking about the Feast of Trumpets, which is kind of a weird, obscure feast. And there's only three verses on it and you've probably never heard of it before to this feast that does not sound very fun. This is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where they're supposed to afflict themselves. And if they don't, um, they shall be cut off from his people. So this is a very serious, it doesn't sound like a festival. Um, Moving on to verse 33, we have in direct contrast, this is a very long description of the Feast of Booths or Sukkot. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, say, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, um, and for seven days, is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall do no ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as time, as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its Proper day, besides the Lord's Sabbath, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered all the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest. He's kind of repeating himself here. And on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid trees, branches of palm trees and buffs of leafy trees and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. Okay. So we have in direct contrast to the day of atonement when they're supposed to be afflicting themselves, the feast of booths, where they're supposed to be celebrating for seven days straight. And I will tell you, Yom Truah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot are the three fall holidays are my personal favorite because they're so fascinating. And one of the reasons that they're so fascinating is that they are prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled, but that scripture still talks about in the New Testament. So we're going to flip back over to 1 Corinthians 15, um, but they're in verse 52, actually, is where Paul still talks about... Yom Truah, I don't know if he knows he's talking about Yom Truah, it's not specifically said, but in verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. So he kind of makes this reference to this uh, amazing day when we're all supposed. It is a mystery when we, we shall be changed, and we shall, and the dead will be raised. And it has to do with the blast of a trumpet. There's another place that we hear about this in Revelation 8. When we also hear about trumpets, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because there are seven trumpet blasts, um, but if you want to read up on that, that's in Revelation 8. There are seven different trumpet blasts, um, and this is obviously in Revelation when we're talking about the end time, something that hasn't actually happened yet. Um, And then Yom Kippur, we can look at Revelation 15 for Yom Kippur, which is um, the day of atonement, And Revelation 15 talks about the seven angels with the seven plagues. So like we said, this is not a super fun holiday um, and we'll talk about what it foretells. But the seven plagues, the day of atonement and the seven bowls of God's wrath in um, Revelation chapter 16 are kind of what Yom Kippur is talking about, which is, again, in direct contrast to what Sukkot is all about. Sukkot, we talk about in Revelation 21, the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, when we get to dwell with God forever. So that's kind of a little teaser of what the next couple episodes are going to be like when we're talking about um, how Jesus fulfilled the the four spring festivals and the three fall festivals are yet to be fulfilled. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is that there's this thing called pilgrimage festivals, which we can see in Deuteronomy 16, um, starting in verse 16, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord, your God at the place that he will choose at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks and at the feast of booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord that your, according to the blessing of the Lord, your God, that he has given you. So these are three times a year that the Jewish people are supposed to come before the Lord um, actually to Jerusalem in the temple. And those are for um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. So that is a little bit of context. Um, and I'm going to read this little snippet from a blog post that I found written by a Jewish person who does not, who is not Messianic, does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the fulfillment of these festivals. So he says, after the second temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, at the conclusion of the failed great revolt of the Jews against the Roman empire, the pilgrimage festivals continue to be celebrated, but primarily as synagogue-based worship services. For the past 2000 years, since the cessation of the pilgrimages to the actual temple in Jerusalem, since it was destroyed, these holidays have retained the title of pilgrimage festivals. Prayers have replaced the animal sacrifices And the historical and agricultural themes of the festivals have become the dominant aspect of the holidays, wherever they are celebrated throughout the diaspora. In Israel itself, many people continue to make what they consider to be a pilgrimage to the Western Wall, the remnant of the temple and one of the holiest sites in Judaism, feeling that in doing so, they are following in the footsteps of our ancestors in temple times." So um, the pilgrimage festivals were um, about them making a pilgrimage to the temple, but his point here is basically the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, so we haven't been able to do that since then. Um, But there's different ways that Jews have kind of coped throughout the years in doing it through prayer and to synagogues or to the western wall in the old city if they're able to. I actually got to witness this for the holiday of Shavuot. When I was there a couple years ago, my friend and I woke up very, very early to go Go to the Western Wall and see kind of all the all the Jews doing their pilgrimage to the Western Wall, which they believe is the um, the remains of the old Temple in seventy A.D. Okay, so that's kind of my. broad broad brushstroke overview of the seven biblical feasts. Um, We are going to be talking a lot more in depth of these throughout the next couple episodes but I really hope that this piqued your curiosity and your interest especially because we are coming up on the fall feasts. My family keeps Sukkot every single year and it is our favorite holiday and I'd also like to see if I can get a few testimonies of some of the people in my community that keep some of these um, holidays and see what they have to say and what some of their traditions might be so stay tuned and we'll see um if I can get that done. But thank you so much, you guys, for listening. I really um, am super excited that I get to share these things with you and kind of talk with you about it. If you wanna head over to my Instagram, I talk a lot about the podcast throughout the week on there. So if you have any questions or if you have anything that you want me to add to future episodes, that is the place to do it. My Instagram is at underscore with strength and dignity underscore. Um, And there's also links below if you guys need to see my website or the blog post that I mentioned or my Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that. So I will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Strength and Dignity. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave us a rating and review. That would help us out a lot with the algorithm so we can reach more people looking for encouragement in their faith journey. Hope you tune in next time.